Hi. Hi, everyone. Welcome to <laughs> One Hen, Two Ducks. Yes, a grown-up theater kids podcast. I'm Megan. My name is Selena. Welcome, guys. Today, we're talking about Six. Yes, Six the Musical People. Put on your theater nerd glasses, because here we go. Six is the retelling of uh, the Henry VIII Six Wives, but from their perspective of their relationship with this guy. And the way that the show kind of goes down is it's sort of like mm-hmm. a um, pop concert um, where they're all kind of competing to see which queen kind of leads the band. But then by the end, they kind of realize there's no need for competition uh, because they're all really great. And I love how it was lead the band in in worst life. Like it wasn't like, oh, which queen has had the most success outside of Henry or any until like, of course, spoiler alert, the end. But um, but it was in the beginning, it was all about which queen had it worse. Whoever had it worse is the one that won wins. Yeah. And I thought that was hilarious. <laughs> yeah, because they all had it pretty terribly when they were married to this guy. None of it was good. <laughs> And so they have this great moment where they realize they've all done things in their life to be remembered for other than this relationship, which isn't that what we all want. Mm-hmm. We all want to be remembered for something that we brought to the table rather than our most famous relationship. You know what I mean? Yes. And a lot of the time, especially when it comes to history, we remember the men and the women are faded mm-hmm. in the background. Um like until Hamilton, not really many people talk about Eliza, even though she did way more in some aspects. It's true. When you look at some of these stories, the women are the one that keep the legacy going of the yes. men, right? We're the ones that, like Jackie Kennedy. Yes. Coretta Scott King. Coretta Scott King. These women are the ones that keep the legacy of the men around. And, and, it's, and it's so self-sacrificing that they still focus on their husbands more than more so even than themselves of what they're doing. Um, and it's that is like the woman. We are constantly lifting up others, whether it's our husbands or our children. And a lot of the times we get lost in, in, in lifting people up until they look back and they're like, huh, where did this foundation come from? Yeah. And it's usually a grandmother or a mother or some woman that yeah. was a staple in the family. We're really, we're, you know, I'm glad that we're starting to have these conversations of like, it's time to like celebrate yourself a little bit. I'm glad we're getting there um, as women (laughs) to be able to celebrate our own accomplishments and not let them be sat in the background of history anymore. I'm glad that we're pulling these, these things forward, which is great. So speaking of great women Mm -hmm. and great things being done let's talk a little bit about this musical let's dive in for sure yes so in musical theater history how does this correlate you know what what have they drawn from what have they and were inspired from what information do you have for us the musical itself here we go guys strap in there has never been an all-female broadway musical Never. Never has there ever been an all-female Broadway musical. There has been some all-female off-Broadway musicals like Beehive in 1986 and Nonsense in 1985. Nonsense was actually the second longest running off-Broadway show in theater history after the Fantastics, of course. All men off-Broadway show 
forever plaid. That's kind of like the the opposite to Beehive. Like it's a jukebox musical where they take music from another time and kind of put a storyline to it. The okay. only thing about Nonsense is that usually the joke is is that the priests are the band. So it's an all-male band for a female-led show. Right. Now, when we're talking about male-heavy shows, only on Broadway. I'm only focusing on Broadway. This is a list of the mostly men-involved musicals that have been on Broadway. Jersey Boys, Glory Days, Ain't Too Proud, Newsies, Full Monty, 1776, Damn Yankees, Boys from Syracuse, Promises Promises, Book of Mormon, Rocky, American Idiot, Assassins, Billy Elliot, Camelot, Damn Yankees, Dracula the Musical, Fiddler on the Roof, Five Guys Named Mo, Funny Thing Happened on the Way to the Forum, How to Succeed in Business Without Really Trying, Kinky Boots, Pacific Overtures, Paint Your Wagon, Peter and the Starcatcher, Peter Pan, Passion, Pirates of Penzance, The Producers, Seven Brides for Seven Brothers, Singing in the Rain, Something Rotten, West Side Story, Roar the Grease Paint, Smell the Crowd, Les Mis, uh, Oliver, and another funny one, Guys and Dolls. Now, mm-hmm. if we're talking just Broadway, the list of mostly female, like female-heavy Broadway shows are Little Women, Thoroughly Modern Millie, Legally Blonde, Jane Eyre, Bring It On, Follies, Mean Girls, Nine to Five, and Sister Act. Mm, mm, mm. Notice it. Notice it's a, like notice something a little different about that list. Completely <laughs> off balance. It's yes. Way shorter. Yes. So when you think about musical theater, how many times have you seen a show where it's mostly the male storyline and he kind of runs into the female and it's all about him trying to get her or, you know, and yeah, she'll have a song or two and they'll have a song together and you kind of learn about her background or whatever, but it's mostly follows the storyline of the male character. Well, I grew up thinking that the female was always just the love interest, that it was mm-hmm. mostly the the male story or a, you know, a... Um, uh a male's circumstance or situation, and the female was simply the the love interest that then turns into his support that helps him mm. get through whatever he's trying to get through, um, or helps, or oftentimes it's either the love interest or the one that causes him the pain. Right, and especially in musicals where you think it would be maybe even, because there is a lot of evenality sometimes in musicals, um, but mm-hmm. musicals that you think would be maybe be even, like guys and dolls seven brides for seven brothers it still follows the male perspective you'll have shows like pippin that really tried to kind of switch things where instead of the uh you know the narrator being played by a man like ben vereen they switched Mm -hmm. it in the revival to be played by a woman yeah um so i feel like there is space for that like you there there's nothing that says the mc in cabaret can't be a woman hello dream role right here i would love to be the mc in cabaret Never right, says right. it has to be a man. Well, and if you really go down into history, I mean, then you go into how theater history started in the first place, in a sense, and it was males playing females. Mm-hmm. So they definitely had no space in the the drama the dramatic arts, and it, not until and it was almost like they were trying to fit them in. Like, okay, well, now we actually have women, and we want them to be a part. Well, where do we put them? Well, let's either put them as a damsel, as some love interest, as something, or as the comedic relief. You get. You take you take the girl who's the character actress, who's maybe not a tall, leggy, blonde, and gorgeous. Her body mm-hmm. type is different. 
And so you put her as the character actor, the comedic relief, the girl who gets like this, the, the funny guy at the end. So that's where we, we get to when we get to six is now we're looking at a musical that's written from a totally female driven perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, you have six women or six non-binary people on stage that are completely equal. No mm-hmm. one's better than anyone else. No one's less than anyone else. They're all completely equal. Their stories are all valid. Mm-hmm. And then they're also all very body positive. You do not have to look a certain way. You do not have to have, to have a certain hair color or skin color or body shape to be any one of those queens. Yeah. And that's and what it, makes that show so It impressive. makes it so special. And it's so, and it's, again, like, I love this, this new like fully diverse way, like you said, from body type to to race to everything, because it's proving that you can still be the character and look nothing like them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and yeah. that's what's what's so amazing is that it just, again, shows you that theater is different. Theater always goes back to the art first, which in the art is about the story mm-hmm. and the characters first, not necessarily about looking apart. Yeah. So you have Toby Marlowe and Lucy Moss, two friends mm-hmm. at, at Cambridge University. Toby Marlowe uh, desperately wanted to write something to get into the Edinburgh Fringe, which I don't blame you. If I had mm-hmm. any chance to even just practice, just go to the Edinburgh Fringe, I absolutely would go. Do you know how sick that would be? First of all, that would have been amazing. Edinburgh. Yeah. Second, a theater festival in Scotland. Sign mm-hmm. me up. Um. <laughs> And so he was taking a, uh, I think he, he, I saw an interview where he said he'd kind of written down some notes about something and he kind of submitted it, but it wasn't a full fleshed out thing yet. And he was in a poetry class where they were talking about the six wives of Henry VIII. And that's when he got his inspiration and he texted his friend Lucy or he made a note and said, call Lucy. And one of the things that I love that Lucy says was, yeah, he called me and pitched me this idea of this musical and I really I decided right then and there if anyone else is a part of this this could be really bad so I came on in order to make sure it wasn't bad (laughs) and they figured out a way to not make it some kind of hokey like welcome to London we're the six wives of Henry the eighth into something really cool and incredible yeah so they take this really interesting piece of theater to Edinburgh Fringe in 2017 and it was so well received being being sold out and whatnot that they're asked back for the 2018 Edinburgh Fringe. In the meantime, they get the uh, they catch the eye of producer Kenny Wax and Global Musicals. They put on a uh, professional debut um, and it's supposed to be over four different Monday nights in uh, 2017. But of course, sold out. So they had to increase it to six. Um <laughs> They they took it on tour. They brought it back to the Edinburgh Fringe. They announced that they were going to be doing a West End production, which they did. They took it on tour again. They decided to bring it back in uh, Jan- 17th of January, 2019. It was only supposed to go for, I think, 16 weeks. But they announced they were extending it into 2021 because, again, popular. Mm-hmm. And then, obviously, the pandemic hit. They had to shut down. But they were one of the first shows on the West End to reopen back up in December, uh, which then promptly closed again because then all the theaters had to close again. Yes. yes. So that is that's where we were in terms of the UK history of it. 
it's brought to America. It's, it has like a uh, Australia tour. It, it's taken on Norwegian cruise lines. Um, it comes to America and they, they do a tour of it. They set it up at um, Chicago Shakespeare. And then they decide pretty much then that this is, this is the out of town tryout before we go to Broadway because it's going to Broadway. It's going to go to Broadway in 2020 is all they say. Going to Broadway 2020. They go to Cambridge, Massachusetts, the American Repertory Theater. They go to the Citadel in Canada and Ordway in Minnesota. And by then they have brought on Broadway producer Kevin McCollum and uh, set up their run for the Brooks Atkinson Theater in New York City. Previews began the 13th of February, 2020. Their opening night, which was supposed to be the 12th of March, 2020, they all arrived at the theater ready to open their show. And that was when their stage manager told them to go home because all of Broadway was shut down due to the pandemic. So they never got their opening night. So sad. So sad. So sad. Yeah. And may I say what is cool about what about. Okay. So as I was looking at the show and mainly the creatives behind the show, um, as well as the cast, but also mainly the creatives behind the show, I was in awe at the fact that this is millennial. This is a millennial, almost, almost late Gen Z, I think still millennial, um, show. No, like the everyone is so young. Um, Lucy Moss is literally the first, the 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 youngest person to ever direct a show mm-hmm. on Broadway. She, they, they're they're comparing her to freaking Orson Welles. And it's so cool to see that and to prove that we do have a space. And I feel like a lot of times young people or or us coming into the, you know, into the next generation, like coming into things always feel like we have to wait. We have to wait, we have to wait, we have to wait. We have to always wait till someone opens the door or wait till we're, we've gotten enough experience or blah, 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 that they give their excuses for. But this show has proven that all you need is an idea, some collaboration, and just to do it yeah. and believe in your work and people will see it. And um, also, if you don't know, Lucy Moss um, directed Ratatouille the Musical. Ratatouille the Musical, which, which she brought on a couple for Six Ladies for that, which was yes. nice to see. Which was nice to see. So it was, it's just, it's amazing to to watch these young people continue to to grow and, and influence theater in a different way mm-hmm. than it's what it's used to. And I bet we're giving a lot of the old timers heart attacks. I, I'm That's sure okay. we are. I'm sure. I'm but sure. You know what? It's still, it's something different and it's a way to be creative in a different way. It's kind of like, it's like a Hedwig, right? So Hedwig, I think it was in the early nineties began as a, just a, a drag character that um, John Cameron Mitchell would do at, at drag bars. And he started kind of developing a show and they started writing music and it was a little off Broadway production, but it had such a cult following. And years later, after they'd done the movie, like this is, oh gosh, I want to say 2014, 2014, 2015, somewhere around there, Hedwig premiered on Broadway. But it's sort of like that setting where it's it's a rock concert, but we are telling a story through the rock music and through right. this character who is a rock star. Um, now in six not only is it six ladies on stage performing, but they also have a fully, like a full yes. female band or yes. non-binary band. 
which is also incredible because it's just a bunch of different energy on stage than you've ever had before. The cast, we're going to just focus on the Broadway cast because yes. we can. So <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, our Catherine of Aragon is Adriana Hicks. Mm -hmm. Anne Boleyn is Andrea Macassett. Our Jane Seymour is Abby Mueller. Anna of Cleves is Brittany Mack. Oh, yeah. Catherine Howard is Samantha Polly. Mm -hmm. And Catherine Parr is Anna Uzelli. So we've got Adriana Hicks. We have Abby Mueller. And we have Anna Uzelli, who are returning Broadway vets. And then we have Andrea Macassette. Brittany Mack and Samantha Polly all making their Broadway debut. Oh, hopefully, three newbies and three oldies. I know. Hopefully, I those those Broadway debuts will happen oh, very imagine, soon. Imagine how excited they were, and then how much disappointment. Do you know how many? There have been so many people that were like about to go into their Broadway debut show, and then it shut down. I just can't even imagine it, it being the day of. You finally get of. your dream. <laughs> All your family's coming, your mama, your auntie, your cousin, your baby cousin, sister, daddy, who's twice removed. They all come in. And then it's gone. Poof. It's gone. But I'm glad that they at least got to do the previews. And I and I know I saw the previews. Did you see the previews, Megan? I did. I saw. Yes. Um, I know that they have a couple videos that they've released. And there is some um, fan videos from the audience that they encourage during the mega six at the end of the show mm -hmm. um and that's really fun to watch to watch them just kind of like there's nothing better than that first i'm sure that first month of of excitement that you're doing this on a broadway stage in front you of an just audience see the joy. yes see the joy on their faces that they're the doing energy it. that they were giving off like was so amazing and and i just I just loved it. I just loved the the entire thing. These yeah. these actors, how they approach these characters, I thought was so brilliant because they, of course, you know, incorporated the characters and how they were supposed to be. But you could tell that they were still bringing a piece of them, and of course, the pop star that they were inspired by. So we can talk yeah. about that. Like, let's take a let's talk about um, Adriana, who played Catherine of Aragon, and who she was, who her pop star person was, and how she approached Catherine. it. Well, the way that Toby Marlowe and Lucy Moss wrote the show is they wrote each Queen's song with a specific pop diva in mind. And Catherine of Aragon is based on um, Beyonce and J-Lo and a little bit of Jennifer Hudson. Yes, and Lucy, I love it because she said because, of, because Catherine of Aragon was going to be the first one, it needed to set the bar. And so mm -hmm. she needed so a, a strong female presence that basically would come in and say, F you, Henry. And I thought um, Adriana did a fantastic job of doing just that, of, of yeah. staying true to this, this, you know, Spanish Catholic queen and yet still holding her own because Catherine of Aragon did hold her own. She was not giving in. He tried to kick her out. He tried to do all kinds of stuff to her and she was trying to take her crown from her. Agree. Agree. Incredible. Andrea, who played Anne Boleyn, who is, I mean, I love it because even in the musical, they say, now we know you all have your favorites. And I'm like, yes, I do. I actually do. And and Anna Boleyn is actually one of my favorite, personal favorites of, of the queens. Um, and I thought her representation of Anne Boleyn 
was so amazing. Her song was inspired by Avril Lavigne, Miley Cyrus, those kind of more pop, pop punk princesses. Yes, punk girls that, you know, they ain't taking nothing and they're going to bring attitude with it. Like, it's yeah. not only like, it's not only the strength of Catherine, but it's a, it's a strength and an attitude. Like, and I don't care. Yeah. I don't care about your feelings. And I love that because she was, she brought this, this almost adorable sassiness too. Cause I loved her sassiness, but she was also gentle enough where it wasn't off-putting. Yeah. Um, and, and it was, it was endearing in her sassiness. And you could just tell that she embraced this part of Anne that really didn't understand the weight of right. her position and the weight of her words until it was too late. It's true. And now Abby Mueller is Jane Seymour. She, uh, her, her song is Heart of Stone and Toby and Lucy's inspiration for Heart of Stone was more of Sia and Adele. Um, a little bit of Celine Dion in there too, even though oh, Celine yeah. Dion's a little bit past their kind of thought process of, of divahood because they wanted to make it more current divas. I could see that. I could see that. And by the way, Megan did a beautiful rendition of that. You should check it out in our shorts. Um, <laughs> and if you don't know, this this musical is is only 90 minutes, but they're on stage the entire time. But it's short for a reason because these poor girls are on the stage the entire time, the entire time. And the only break that they're really getting is during Heart of Stone. Well, at least the rest of the the wives, Jane, of course, still has to sing, but at least she has to be still. But the other ones can at least like sit down and take a break, which yeah. um, I thought was kind because <laughs> it's one of the only ballads in the whole uh, musical. So I'm, I'm glad that they stuck that in there just to give their actors a break. Yeah. And you think very much like you have Catherine of Aragon's got these kind of Spanish Latin drums in the background. You have Anne Boleyn has this kind of electric guitar, very um, girlfriend, Av Avril Lavigne, like ga 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 ga, right? And then you have this like beautiful soft piano that is um, Jane Seymour. It really just kind of weaves in all these different it does. tones and things, right? It does. Because then you go straight into freaking Missy Elliott type of bang mm, 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 mm. Britney Mac which again which again if you want to see a really amazing short or a really great TikTok video check out our TikTok at one and two deaths <laughs> and see <laughs> Selena do an amazing rendition of get down oh that song is just so Plays. much fun I definitely it's do not so have any, of, of Britney's Britney's voice is far better than mine um, but it was, it was just so much fun. And that song requires so much energy and she does it with like, she gets you just as excited. And I oh, love how so she was interacting with audience members. And, uh, I just, her, she was fantastic. And by the way, Anne of Cleve is my sec, my second favorite because I'm, Anna I guess, best. I'm, I guess in the whole wife thing, I love the ants. The ants, the ants are great. The ants are great. The ants are great. They're also they're also like total badasses. They are. They are. They are. And Anne of Cleves, obviously we said before, Missy Elliott, little Rihanna, um, but just kind of like a very sassy um, hip hop based song that she sings. With tons of dynamics. 
And unfortunately, they didn't get a chance to record the cast album, the Broadway cast album, but they do have the um, record, like the recording studio album. So if you ever get a chance to listen to that, um, the Anne of Cleves on that recording, she's doing all sorts, like, I mean, everybody, everybody in the background, they're all doing all these different trills that you'd never be able to hear in a Broadway show because it's like them also like ripping the back. It's just, it's great. It's It's great. great. Moving on. Catherine Howard, dude. Catherine Howard. Samantha Polly. Straight up Britney Spears, Ariana Grande with that high ponytail. Oh, yeah. Britney yes. Spears, very, like, I could hear Britney singing that yes. song. Yes. Yes. And uh, for the record, I, I'm i a huge, like, the, the Showtime Tutors fan as well. Not only just, like, Tutors in general, but I'm also, like, show series fan. And um, I could not stand that Katherine Howard. I just did not like that character. I thought she was annoying and frilly and silly. And the funny thing is, is that writer Lucy Moss felt the same thing. She felt like whenever she would look and and research uh, Katherine Howard, that that was her reputation of being this silly, flirtatious girl that had no base instead of a victim. Mm. And that's why that whenever I was watching and listening to her song, which was All You Wanna Do, that song was to me one of the aside from um jane seymour was one of the deeper songs because she went through this huge arc of of feeling that way of feeling silly and frilly and yes i'm so beautiful to being so utterly exhausted from being used and and then she had this hope she kept having this hope of no a man will just love me but nope he loves my body only i'm nothing but my body and feeling that like I thought she did a brilliant job, Lucy Moss, of of bringing that deeper part of the character to now. I don't hate her. I felt so much compassion. I just wanted to cuddle that poor baby. Yeah. Like it's okay. Because she was only she was so young. Obviously, like historically, it's it's hard to like understand how to feel historically because that was a common thing where women were married off to much older men. Obviously, nowadays we think that's horrific. Yes. Um, but it was something very commonplace and maybe not thought of that much that we think about it now. Um, but it's interesting commentary to kind of equate that with like the Britney Spears situation yes. or Ariana Grande, two women who started their careers very young, who were sexualized at such a young age. And especially in Britney's case, has been made to be the sexual object her whole life. Yes. Yes. And has never like really... You can even see as as she's an older grown woman with kids, even on her Instagram, like she's still doing things. She thinks the only way to get attention is by doing something sexual. Sexual, mm-hmm. and That's it's so sad. and it's so sad to watch because it. I need a hug from her. Come here, come <laughs> here, Brittany. Come here, Brittany. We got you, girl. But it is an it's an awesome kind of moment to like have this journey of this character that you find so annoying and like she's so yes. full of herself and she's like oh, but then she you so see, realize you realize why that she, it's kind of a front and the only way she's able to compartmentalize that is by just being like okay well guess I'm just this sexy thing then and that's what I'll be. Oh. <laughs> And I know, like, uh, like at the end of this show that they, they're like, no, none of us win. We're all strong. But at the same time in my brain, I was like, I think Catherine Howard actually wins if we're going to go by that competition that you guys started with. Which, by the way, I love how after Get Down, Anne of Cleves, they're like, and how was your life terrible? She goes, oh, that's right. It's not. So I guess I lose. Oh, well, back to the castle. <laughs> <laughs> that's 
back to the castle. I love her. Um, and then our last one, who was the tire of it all in, um, was Catherine Parr, who was played by... Anna Uzzelli. And her song um, very much, like they always say, like anytime you talk about Catherine Parr, Lucy and Toby immediately go to Alicia Keys, Alicia Keys, Alicia Keys. Oh, yes. She, she kind of looks has, like Alicia Keys. She does. And just the weird. quality of her voice, that kind of jazzy, almost mm-hmm. like very rhythm bluesy quality of her song. Beautiful voice. Oh. Gorgeous. It's almost even like a little John Legendy too yes. you know what i mean not to bring yes. in men in this because alicia keys is the original john legend but oh yes mm. you know what i mean it's that you know it's that alicia keys that first album that like i keep yes falling. so it's good that. Oh, it's so good so good and she did a great job and and again like in history or through the show the series the showtime series I just know, we didn't really get to know Catherine all that much because of course she came at the end. By that time, Henry was old and dying and remember it was his story so we weren't even focusing on her. I loved again what what they did is they brought her, sorry, another Hamilton. They wrote her back into the narrative. Yeah. And 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 they gave her her story back by by reminding us that she had this whole life outside of Henry. Yeah, that she was a writer and she wrote books and she wrote meditations. She, um, you know, strove for women's equality when studying scripture and um, educating women. Like it was it was a huge, she, huge. Her little her little actions meant meant progression. You know yes. what I mean? I don't know if you noticed, Megan, but all of these queens and all of these characters. Um, actually, I was I, I, I was talking to my friend about it and we were looking at pictures and everything. And she noticed that all of the all of the. The crowns that they had had spikes. Mm. They were all different kinds of spikes. And this feel of their rain came with pain. The rain and pain. I'm just kidding. <laughs> but the rain came with came with this excruciating weight and yeah. pain, um, which I thought is beautiful. And, and that's why I'm excited to talk about the costumer. Yes, yes. And on the flip side of that, not only did it, it came with pain, yes. But then what's more powerful than a spike, baby? Right. That's then going to get up in your And business. pain is gain. Oh, the gain. rain came with pain. That was gain. Boom, boom, boom. Going into costume Somebody design. hire me. Somebody can, hire me. Can Lynn. We get, can we get someone on the phone, please? And anybody <laughs> at this point, anyone on the phone. We're always asking for people to get on the phone. Can someone just call us, please? Producer, Kristen, get someone on the phone. We've been asking for this for how many episodes? Can we get someone in, in the live audience pool right now? Um, all right, costumes. Gabriella Slade. Yes. Gabriella Slade. Uh, she took Tudor inspiration, such as like corsets, square necklines, different paneling. And um, then she took kind of more modern stylings from like Alexander McQueen. And one of her things that she talks about is taking these old styles, but putting them with these new fabrics, these vinyls, these acrylics, Mm -hmm. these metallics. And that's where you get such a contemporary look. Um, She says that all the costumes are extremely heavy. (laughs) Catherine of Aragon's is the hardest costume to make and keep up with because it is so intricate. Um, and that, it, don't know if you noticed, but there are no purple costumes. Because purple I notice that. is the brand color, show oh. brand color. So no queen will ever be in purple. 
Um, I noticed that. And I thought yeah. it was because they're trying to, to separate from the royalty because purple is usually associated with royalty, but that makes more sense. Yeah. Obviously you have gold for Catherine Aragon because she's from Spain. And at the time, Spain, very rich country, rich in gold. You have Anne Boleyn and she's in green because they, they reference it a lot in the show. The legend that Henry VIII wrote Anne Boleyn, the poem Green Sleeves. And so she has a whole line about how she's like, oh, my sleeves may be green, you know, and they, mm-hmm. she sings a little green sleeves moment. And there, there is that. a little like, da, 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 right? In ex-wives. Then you have Jane Seymour, who's black and white. And which there is very some, Jane seymour Which is very Jane seymour E. She's white, you know, she's pure. She, she's the one that died in childbirth. She was the one that gave him what he wanted and then she died. But there was something else that I don't know if I understand. I wrote it down. The, the design on her corset is supposed to be reminiscent of half-timbered houses. Does that make sense hmm. to anybody? What's a ha- Let me look that up real fast. Oh, I see. It's this classic Tudor. Oh, a classic Tudor. It's a classic Tudor styling. Do you see that? Oh, that makes Oh, yeah. And that's exactly her. That is exactly her, her yeah. corset. So that's her mm-hmm. aesthetic is that half-timbered house. And then you have Anne of Cleves. She, you know, she's doesn't care. Badass. Nope. She's the care. one that she was the one that was divorced. Right? So she's red. Looks. Yeah. So she's red because she's she's fiery. She's she's the one that got away, essentially. Yeah, you have is. Catherine Howard in pink because she's young. Um, and then you have Catherine Parr in blue as kind of like a a powerful, a calming force a wise color Mm -hmm. so uh we have all these kind of little bits of who these characters are and what's incredible about gabriella is she meets with she tries to meet with each actor outside of the show to kind of get an idea of how they work and how they're approaching the character um so when she designs a costume for them it's not just a one-size-fits-all baby she's gonna get you a brand new She's going to get you a brand new look. You're not going to have the same costume that the girl on the West End wears. Not the exact same thing. You're going to get your own deal. And it might look a little bit like somebody else's costume, but you're going to have your own things that are involved with it. I really love that. Which is incredible. Mm -hmm. Um, And then the other little thing I had written down for her is uh, just a little quote from her. And she says, never be afraid to get experimental. Give yourself a nice amount of time to work on something and then really dive in it because she says that she works best when she doesn't have a lot of things on her calendar. She works best when she knows she has a lot of time to really work on something and give it her full attention rather than she's like pulled in so many different directions. Agreed. And then this is the most important one. You should never feel pressured to make something normal. Isn't that great? Say that again. Say that again for the people in the back. You should never feel pressured to make something normal. Amen, amen, hallelujah. <laughs> I love that because I think that's the uh, that's the hardest part for a creative, especially yeah. being in a group of people that don't understand creatives or artists, and those and those people always try to put the creative in a box. Like, no, this is what you're supposed to do. This is what's been done before, and all that. And that pressure to do something normal is really debilitating. It's it it really just like 
crushes your your creative soul yeah. because m- most creatives that I know, I mean, I know me, I know you, I know or even our producer, we we constantly are striving for outside the box. We're constantly striving to what else and what can we, what is, like when we see a flower, we don't only see a flower, we see what this represents, who this, where did it come from? Why is it that, like wh- how it feels? Like we're just that weird. Which so having to, <laughs> we're just that weird. You might look at a trend or something, but then how can you not, ne- you shouldn't always be thinking like, how can I make that different? Because then you're just going to, you're going to burn yourself out and you're going to think, uh, you know, you're going to try to outdo yourself mm-hmm. and it's, and you're going to put too much pressure on yourself. I think what's mm-hmm. important is by thinking like, let me just go with whatever instinct I have. Exactly. And if that doesn't how work, I, where is, where am I in it? And even yeah. like you said, as a trend, definitely, like you said, don't, you don't have to, you don't have to do something completely different, but you can see that trend and say, well, how do I fit in this? Yeah. And then that right there is unique enough. It's, it's unique enough because no one is you. Yeah. Because I'm, I'm sure there were some people that were like, wait, aren't you, I mean, they're British Queens. Aren't you going to have them in like traditional floor length gowns? She was like, no, I'm going to have them fishnets and studs and rhinestones and spikes Uh, and i love it because it really does feel like these these queens have come to the 21st century and are talking to us you know it's like it's literally like if we opened up a history book they came out of the page and were like let me tell you something honey get down you know like it was yeah if they if they live today what would they say Mm -hmm. you know what i mean this guy sucked Mm -hmm. (laughs) this guy sucked Moving onward to yes. how we communicate non-verbally, the choreography, Ooh, and this yes. is going to be a doozy to say. I'm gonna I'm gonna say this wrong, and I'm just gonna say it right now. I'm gonna say this wrong. Carrie Ann, in Goulet, en Goulet. It sounds Let's very French, but she's from Guernsey, so she could be French, I guess, because that's the island between French and Fr- French island between France and England, right? Guernsey. Anyone ever see that movie Guernsey Potato Peel Pie Society? <laughs> no, so I don't know great. What you're about. Anyway, <laughs> she I don't won know geography. She won the Olivier Award for Best Theater Choreo for Six. Yay! She a lot of her movements obviously are very pop hip hop based, mm. but they also have to be kind of movements you would see in the back of you know a Britney Spears or a J Lo concert. Something easy that you're going to be able to sing over. But that's also going to get the point across that almost like they're a girl group, like Spice Girls, like they're going to be able still to move and sing. But each mm-hmm. girl has her own kind of different choreography. Like you have you have Destiny's Child kind of vibes you have or, or J-Lo vibes, you know, kind of Spanish, kind of like a cha-cha, like a mambo, a salsa when you do your salsa move. Mm-hmm. Anne Boleyn, obviously, because she's punk, everything's kind of. No one's really she together. Took her out. She was like, Ugh. yeah. No one's yeah. really together. They're all kind of doing their own thing. You know, you have the Britney Spears, Samantha Polly, where everyone's kind of touching her and the hands and stuff. Don't get me started again. You have Anne of Cleves, which is very pop and locky, and you know, then then you kind of finish the show out with Alicia Keys. This Alicia Keys moment where it's they all find their groove together, but. Uh, it's, it's it more free. It's like, it's like jazz. You find the groove, but then you're able to be yourself within the groove. Mm-hmm. I love and, it. And, you know, House of Holbein. It's just madness. Yes. It's really fun. <laughs> exactly. A lot of, a lot of twerking. But you know what I loved about her choreography is a lot of mo- moments there was, there was just these tiny little, it's almost like Fosse-like, where she would just have isolations of just yeah. the, 
and you would barely notice, but it was there, and it was enough to, it was like, whoa, to, to cause an effect, yeah. like, of the people in the background, which I thought was really cool, or just it was a hip, like, a like a, just yeah. a, some slight movement that, that was strong enough, though it was small, to, to make an impact, and I thought that was cool, too. That is very flossy, like, you're right. Oh, my little thing that she had, little thing that I heard her say, not necessarily about six, but the way she approaches choreography is soul, commitment, patience, and appreciation. Soul, commitment, patience, and appreciation. Yeah. Beautiful. Which I think is important. Patience is the one that we all need. Soul, you put your heart out there, you commitment to it. Patience to make sure you get it right and do it, do what you need to do. And then appreciation, like make sure you appreciate your work, which again, goes That's right back beautiful. to, yes. goes right back to giving yourself credit for when you do good things. Don't let it go. And I'm terrible at that. So thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks, so Carrie much. Ann. I carry in because I am. That's the worst part of, of my life is, is, is appreciation for the work. So good job. Oh, um, I will say this. The only thing you will see, this is going back to costumes. The only thing that you will see consistent with every production is Anne Boleyn's space buns because they're supposed to be indicative of Miley Cyrus. Mm-hmm. And you'll notice she does wear the B, the Boleyn B, and her and Catherine Howard either wear chokers or high neck something yes. because they're the ones that got their necks chopped off. Yep. All right. And so then the last person I had on here was the sound designer, Paul Gatehouse, because if anything about this show is important, it is the sound design. Yes. Agreed. So he has worked, he is a West End creator that came to Broadway to do this. He uh, has worked on West End shows like Lion King, Phantom, basically all the big ones. Um, he talks, the way he talks about the, he started in sound design by being in a band in high school. That's how he started. In a being garage, inspired, probably. In a garage, being inspired by by the Beatles, the White Album, you know, different rock and roll artists. And he just got into kind of recording and sound and sound production. Um, one of the interviews that I read about him was, it was the way he kind of approaches things. But then, and I'm not going to include this here, but he goes into so much detail about what he uses. And I don't understand it. <laughs> Because I don't understand sound design. So when they're like, do you use a drum? Blah, blah, blah. I'm like, skip. Sure. <laughs> I don't know what this is. I do use a DR-17. How do you feel 50. about it? Yeah, like a CRF-7. Yeah, like, oh. don't you? <laughs> Obviously. CRF-7. I probably said something and there's a sound designer like, I would never use a CRF-7. <laughs> Uh, but he talks, they have, a, they actually asked him a really interesting question in this interview where they asked him, why do you think that theater sound designers don't get enough credit in the sound design world? Whereas like if you sound design a concert or if you mm-hmm. sound design this show or like this or that, you know what I mean? It gets more, it gets more credit than a theater sound designer. And he's like, well, I just think they don't understand how intense it is, especially with a show like six. It's all about planning, calculations, mathematics, because you are trying to figure out how everyone can have the exact same experience no matter where they sit. And that he's like, and that is extremely difficult, but very rewarding when you get it done. And a lot of that work, 
goes unnoticed in the sound design world and the theater world. We don't think about it. I don't think about it. And that's the point. They don't want you to. There's some things that that happen in theater that they don't want you to notice. And if you do notice, they do, they have messed up their job. And but that's why I'm actually glad that we do do these off book series because giving those nods to the people who don't get them, I think that's going to be something that also starts to change in the future. And yes, they get awards still. They're recognized by award. But from the from the normal population, so that when they do see a show, that they can remember that this is not just the actors on stage. Yes. You know, this is so much bigger than that. Um, and it really appreciating all parts of theater and not just one part. So good job, mister. Good job. And here's his quote that I have for him. Yes. Stay open to opportunities. If things feel like they're taking a long time, they are, but it's worth it. Shout out, quick shout outs to set designer Emma Bailey, lighting designer Tim Daling, and orchestrator on Broadway Tom Curran, the stage manager, Bonnie Panson, lady stage manager. Thank you, Bonnie. Yes, Bonnie. Um, Our casting. Bonnie's the one one that the Hamilton stage manager referenced. Bonnie Panson? Yes, is the one that that he he learned um, everything from her. mm -hmm, That that he was inspired by. So, yes, Bonnie. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes, Bonnie. That Jason you Bassett. Go, you go off and you inspire all sorts of budding stage managers out there. Thank you for all that you do. Yes. Thank you, casting at Tara Rubin Casting, Peter Van Dam, Bob Mason. Thank you for casting these awesome ladies in their roles. Jamie Armitage, who co-directs with Lucy Moss. Yes. Um, yes. Both on the West End and on Broadway. It looks like Jamie fun. Armitage. I want to hang out with him. His picture looks like so much fun. They both, I think they just all. They're really, just all fun. They just all really get along. <laughs> they just all seem like they get along, which is great to see. Thank you, guys. You know that saying uh, that's kind of circula- circulated in the past couple of years where you fix, you fix another girl's crown without letting her know it's crooked yes and i feel like that has become a thing of like women helping women truly helping women and truly just being there for an entire sisterhood or you know non-binary group of people and accepting everyone and holding them up and i feel like that's what this show is all about gives everyone the opportunity to shine It's six very powerful women. It's all about how special they are and how different they are, but how they are all fantastic. It has nothing to do with who's better than the other. It has nothing to do with this competition. They're all great. And that's what you realize as the audience. You're like, how how would you ever pick one? Because they're all fantastic. You don't pick one. That's the point. I love that it was a message to all women because that is how we are. We naturally are wanting to compete with one another when she's like, no, 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 no. Let's embrace each other's differences and see that we're all awesome. We don't need no mean girls. No, we're all beautiful. We're all unique. We're all we're all fantastic. And we're all slaying, baby. And we all have a yeah. voice and we all deserve to be heard. Yeah. You don't have and you don't have to apologize. And like this is why one of the moments with Jane Seymour's char- character is also so powerful. You don't have to apologize for being in love either. Yes. You know what I mean? She's mm-hmm. She sings a song about being the heart of stone because 
she talks about being in love with Henry, even though she knows he's volatile and a little out there, she still loves him. And she's the, she's the rock and she's okay with being that. And that's not, that's not something that should be looked down upon either. Yes. And I love that you brought that up because it's so true, especially right now when we are in this whole, you know, women's empowerment, you know, movement and, and it doesn't have to be this, well, you have to be equal to me to be just as great. Yeah. No. Yeah. You, you don't you have to different. wear the same clothes I do to be as equal as me. You're still equal. That's the whole point. You don't have to burn your bra. Your you can wear that thing. You can wear that. If you like it, go for it. <laughs> if you really love it, not for, not for me to tell you no, honey. Do what you want to do. Wear your bra. Burn your bra. Do whatever you want with your bras. Wear them on your head. I don't care. Bedazzle them, though. Bedazzle them. <laughs> bedazzle them. Put some spice. Or don't bedazzle. Maybe you're not into bedazzling. That's fine. <laughs> Maybe that's just me forcing my opinions on you. But things should be bedazzled. I do. Like, I get really into sparkly things. And it's it's strange. Because I feel like I'm grown up. So I shouldn't really like sparkly things anymore. But the second I see something sparkly, it could be anything in the store. And I'm like, oh, I need that. Like, there's something in me that goes, I need that. Sometimes I feel like I imagine myself... If, if it were like me in a cartoon form, I feel like I would kind of look like that chameleon from Rapunzel, but fluffy. And I would just have a bunch of stuff. Like I'd be little and I'd have a bunch of things that I have hoarded. And then when anyone comes around, I'm like, my things. My, my I'm just trying to picture... The fluffy lizard. Yeah. With all these bedooled bags all around it. And it is a very funny picture with your face. Thank you for joining us on One and Two Ducks. Yes. Thank you for joining us for another off book episode. Go on to our Patreon, Patreon backslash one hen, become a patron, get some cool merch, get some behind the scenes videos, get a shout out in our podcast. Talk to us one on one. The possibilities are endless. Also yes. follow us on social media, Instagram, Facebook, TikTok. We're on TikTok we're now. On like everything. I said, we're, 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 we're on everything. We're getting cool, people. We're there. We're getting, we're getting cool. cool. We're trying so to be cool. That. We're trying if to be cool. If you have any tips, <laughs> let us know in the comments. If you have any tips, I let feel us know like, I feel like that moment in Almost Famous when she's like, one day you will be cool. Subscribe to the podcast. Give us some stars. All right. Thanks, guys. We Thank love you. you. We love you. Go listen to six. Bye.